0: Our beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour, come with me now as we leave your front door. We walk down the street and we walk towards one of the houses. It may be a neighbour that you've seen putting his rubbish bin out, maybe the red bin or the yellow bin. You might see him or her driving the car into the garage occasionally. But you don't know that person. have actually barely met them. Do you love them? He surely would say, that's a ridiculous question. How how could I possibly love someone that I don't even know? Would you agree with me then that it's not possible to love a person that you have no relationship with, no connection with? I could have asked you to come out your front door and go onto Google View and just move down the street and look for that house. But when I take you to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, They didn't have Google View back then. But I want you to come with me to a house. It's a house where a man carrying a jar of water, which was an unusual thing in those uh, times in first century Palestine where women ordinarily carried the water, where this man led two of Jesus' disciples to a room. It was an upper room. And it was there that Jesus gave this new commandment that you love one another. And we know that it wasn't completely new. It reflected the truth of Leviticus 19.18 that we are called, God's people are called to love your neighbor as yourself. We know that commandment. What was new was the way Jesus explained this commandment. He said, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another in the same way. He spoke, we know, these words to his disciples before his betrayal and death. Judas Iscariot had just left the room. Eleven disciples remained. Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And they were different people, different individuals. Some were fishermen, one was a tax collector, a couple of them were brothers, blood brothers. And Jesus gave this message to this mixed group of 11 disciples, that they were to love one another with the same selfless, sacrificial, serving love that he had loved them. He demonstrated this love in action when he'd washed their feet, you recall in John chapter 13. He was about to demonstrate it in a far greater way when he would lay down his life for them at the cross of Calvary. And after his death, resurrection and ascension, he issued the command to go, or rather the command was fulfilled to go and make disciples of the nations as the gospel spread. And many heard these words of Jesus faithfully repeated by the disciples. And it's to some of those people that John writes this letter. And he refers back to Jesus' commandment when he says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And then John in our text illustrates the effect of an absence of love for other people. And that's our first point, when love is lacking. He then goes from the negative to the positive and speaks about when love is shown. And thirdly, about the assurance that comes. From such love and that's going to be our third point when love reassures so firstly when love is lacking so john is taking us back to the first brotherly relationship between the second and the third man who existed on the planet that's cain and abel we know that adam and eve had uh, other sons and daughters we read that in genesis 5 who married each other and had their own children it was about 10 generations later that we read the scriptures recording that the earth was filled with violence. Genesis 6:11. Why so much violence? Because people did not love God and they did not love one another. See, that's what happens when love is lacking. When love is lacking, hate abounds and violence so often follows. And it's to such violence and bloodshed and murder that John takes us when he uses the second man on the planet as an example that we are not to follow. He writes in verses 12 and 13, We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So we're reminded in that reading from Genesis chapter 4, Abel's animal offering, his sacrifice was acceptable to God, but Cain's offering of plant produce was not. We know that without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six, 6. And so with faith and an acceptable sacrifice, Abel was commended by God as being righteous. But God had no regard, we read, from, for Cain's sacrifice. And Cain's heart attitude both towards God and his brother became clear. We read Cain was very angry. And his sinful anger was fundamentally a hatred of God who had rejected his offering. But he had no power, you see, to kill his own maker, so he did rise up against his brother and he killed him in the field. And this is the abiding pattern that we see in a post-fall world, and it's this. Wicked people hate righteous people. Wicked people hate righteous people. That's why the unbelieving world thinks it's funny to mock good morals, to ridicule Christians and portray clergymen as hypocritical buffoons. I was once accused by a secular humanist of child abuse for teaching my children that God had created the world from from nothing and that mankind is not an evolved animal. Wicked people hate righteous people. That's why so many Christians have been tortured and killed over the last 2,000 years. In April this year, a Muslim man attempted to slaughter a Coptic Christian woman, Mary Gamel, in broad daylight in the middle middle of a busy street in Egypt, in the neighborhood of Al-Wahraq in Giza. The man had begun to harass, sexually harass Mary. When she rebuffed him, the man grabbed her and forced her to the ground and began carving at her jugular with a knife. He made a deep gash in her throat and almost killed her. That passes passers-by intervened in time and the authorities arrived. It was just a few months ago. Do you marvel? Are you amazed at such hatred against Christians? Look what John writes in verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. In the heart, hatred is the wish that the other person wasn't there. When I hate someone, I'm, I'm no different to a murderer in my heart attitude towards him and her. I just haven't followed through on my thoughts. If I hate someone, I share the very nature of the devil who was a murderer from the beginning, John 8:44). Hatred is completely incompatible with spiritual life. So when the Holy Spirit changes the spiritually dead heart of a person to become alive in Christ when that person is born again, then God enables him or her to love other people as they have been loved by Christ. That's why John writes in verses 14 and 15, we know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him? You see, love for other Christians is the evidence not the basis of eternal life. I'll say it again. Love for other Christians is the evidence, not the basis for eternal life, for spiritual life. When love for fellow believers is absent from a person's life, so also is the evidence that the faith of that person has professed is real. John writes it this way in verse 10. Whoever does not love his brother is not of God. But in contrast to those who do not show love, we come to our second point, those who do show their love of God by loving others. So let's turn to that second point now. It's um, when love is shown. What do you do if you want to see rugby played well? Surely you watch the All Blacks. They beat the Lions yesterday. You want to see racing done well? In the America's Cup, watch Team New Zealand. They are doing very well, leaving Oracle way behind. You want to see love? Look at Jesus Christ. He's the example. Whilst the devil and Cain are the supreme examples of a lack of love for God and his people, Jesus Christ is the supreme example of love for God and for other people. John doesn't define love in this letter, but he helps us much more by pointing us to Jesus who shows us the very nature of love by revealing the character of God in action. Christ's willingness to heal, to teach, to deliver people when he was on earth. Even though many misunderstood him, many failed to thank him, and everyone turned away from him at the end before his death. All the actions of Jesus Christ on this earth demonstrate love. Read the Gospels and see that it is so. He invested his time and his energy in the lives of of ordinary people, 12 disciples, ordinary individuals, a larger circle of followers, the crowds. They weren't special people. They were just people like you and I. But first and foremost, you see, we we observe love exemplified in the sacrificial death of Christ at Calvary. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, John writes. Love can then be defined as a readiness to do anything for other people, even to die in their place if that's necessary, to preserve their life. Look, a gunman enters the auditorium. You see his finger squeeze the trigger of the firearm barrel and it's pointed at the person sitting next to you. And just as that trigger is squeezed, you, you lunge across that person and you take the bullet in your own body, the bullet that's going to kill you, instead of them. That is love in terms of how God defines it. Love for one another. When Jesus spoke to his 11 disciples, the remaining disciples in the upper room, he said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Christian love is love which is sacrificially giving towards those in need. It's a love that doesn't hold back. John writes in verse 16, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our love, our lives for the brothers. Perhaps you're thinking, well, haven't had a lot of opportunity to show that kind of love in the church so far. We don't, by God's grace, have a lot of gunmen coming in. Times may change, but at this stage it's true. We're not to wait to show love for one another until we arrive at such an extreme situation where the gunman enters the worship service with murderous intent. The love also applies, John says, to the sharing of material blessings with one another. He writes in verses 17 and 18, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So we understand that our love for fellow believers is demonstrated by giving from our own abundance, our own goods, our own clothing, our own material blessings, our own money, our time, and our energy. See, our love for fellow believers, and listen to this, is to be primarily evidenced within the local church. This is the community in which God has called us to live together and to love one another. Scriptures speak plainly of life in the church. Through love serve one another, Galatians five thirteen. Bear with one another in love, Ephesians four two, and love one another earnestly from a pure heart one Peter one twenty two. When you think about it, the need in twenty first century New Zealand is not so much at this time for heroic acts of self sacrifice where we lay down our lives for each other. In our affluent society now with With a welfare system, there isn't so much scope for heroic acts of material generosity within the church as there was in times past. Most of us are materially well off. So I want to put it to you now this morning that the greatest need in the church is for heroic giving of ourselves, to invest our time and our energy in befriending other people so that they may find... A place of belonging that's what we've seen evidenced with Matthew Lynette and Rachel confirming that place of belonging here in the church I think that's one of the greatest needs in the church in our society today remember you cannot love a person you do not know so do you love all the people in this congregation Now, no doubt there are some here that you like, some you get on well with, some you may well have known for many, many years, and they're likely the people that you talk to after the service in the fellowship area. But do you know all the people in this congregation? For example, how well do you know Matthew? How well do you know Lynette? How well do you know Rachel? Matthew and Lynette have been regular visitors here in our church for almost two years. How many times have you spoken with this brother and sister? How many times have you prayed with them? Could you confidently say before the Lord, I love Matthew as my brother in Christ. I love Lynette as my sister in Christ. I love Rachel as my sister in Christ. Young people, I want to speak to you for a moment. Young people of youth group age. Do you know all of our older members? Do you know their names? Have you spoken to them? Do you know their joys and their, their sorrows, their sufferings? Do you know something of their interesting life histories? Their backgrounds? Young people, can you confidently say before the Lord this morning, I love all the older members of this congregation? Older members. (laughs) How well do you know the youth of this church? By older members, I'm including people of, of my age and about 10 years younger, by the way. Are you in the practice? Are we in the practice of talking to the young people of our church? of learning about their walk with the Lord, of sharing our wisdom with them, of encouraging them to follow the Lord. Can we confidently say before the Lord this morning as middle-aged and older people, yes, Lord, I love all the young people of this church because I know them. Remember once... uh, talking to a lady from my previous congregation at coffee time, and she remarked to me about a person she spotted across the fellowship hall who had been part of the church for the, last, the past three years, someone this lady had never, ever even spoken to. Who is that, she asked me. I was saddened that she, a mature believer, had not followed the call of Christ to love, another Christian with whom she had worshipped for the past three years. The command of Christ is not to love only the Christians you like. It's not to love only the people who've been members of the church for three years. It's not to love only the brothers and sisters in Christ who are of the same age and stage of life as you are. That's the way that social clubs function. That's the way that sports associations work. That's the way that community interest groups live. This is not the command of Christ for his church. Do you know everybody in the church phone directory well enough to know the joys and the trials that they're currently facing? Can you pray through the names in the bulletin or in the church phone directory, confidently saying before the Lord, yes, I know that person. And I love that person earnestly. John writes in verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. So we've looked at when love is lacking. We've looked at when it's shown and where you and I may be falling short. And so let's finally consider when love reassures So how are you feeling? Convicted? Angry? Uncomfortable? Ashamed? Unsure? Perhaps you're thinking, well, it's about time we got ourselves another preacher who makes me feel better about myself. But seriously, one of the tests of my faith is that I love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And if I don't even know all the people in my own church, then am I not of God? If I've never taken the time to befriend Matthew or Rachel or Lynette or an older member in the church or a young person, then am I guilty of not loving in word and in deed? Sorry, in deed and in truth. See, the sword of the word cuts us when we think about these solemn questions and brings us, if we will listen, to question perhaps even our own salvation. And so John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks pastorally to us addressing God's people as little children. His intention is not to tear us down in this letter, and that's not mine either. He writes to bring assurance to his readers. I write these things to you who believe, he says in chapter 5, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing and saying that by looking at how we love one another, we have the very means by which we may gain assurance of eternal life. By this, he writes, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. I think for most of us, certainly for adults, we would admit, perhaps privately, that there are times when we come and really doubt whether we really are saved. We see patterns of sin in our lives. Pride, anger, lust, gossip, lack of hospitality. We wonder, am I really good enough? have really been changed enough. Did Christ really die for me? But John is saying when we see in our lives this pattern of befriending others in the church with whom we worship, so that we can love them, so that we can love them as Christ loved us, then our hearts are assured that we do love Christ. See, John isn't pointing us to condemnation this morning, and I'm not doing that either. He's pointing us to a wonderful way in which we may be further assured that we are in Christ. And that is by loving one another in deed and in truth. It's practical. It's fundamentally an action. And there's an opportunity after every worship service to get to know the brothers and sisters in Christ that you don't normally talk to. There was an opportunity yesterday for the ladies with the ladies high tea to get to know one another. And so let me suggest the following to you. Perhaps not immediately after this service, but in the next few weeks. If you do not already know Matthew, if you do not know Lynette and Rachel well, enough to be confident that you love them, what should you do? Get to know them. Come alongside them and talk to them and pray with them. And if you're mature in the faith, seek to guide them with your wisdom in Christ. And if you're younger in the faith, seek to be guided by them. So Matthew, Rachel, and Lynette, it's no accident that you're here. The Lord doesn't do accidents. He's in control of all things. God in his good and perfect providence has placed you in this congregation, in this local church. And the people here, if you look around you, these are the brothers and sisters in Christ that the Lord is primarily calling you to love. And we're a bit of a motley crew, but these are the people that God is calling you to love. So please get to know us. And you can use me to You've probably seen me do this. I'll introduce you to people, so you get to know us. Engage with the congregation, so that you may love us for who we are in Christ. We've got a new photo directory being printed at the moment. Excellent tool for the purpose of getting to know people so that you can love them. Consider praying through that directory. Taking a name or two each day. Focus on praying for those you don't know. Look at the photo. I've never talked to that person or very seldom. When you come to the fellowship time, make a opportunity, a point of speaking with them to get to know them so that you may love them suggestion be bold and seek to enter into a conversation that you might know them and if you want an introduction ask me work away progressively in deed and in truth so that you know the people of this congregation better and better that you may love them in Christ and we are growing in number as a church I saw the statistics this past week and so there's plenty of scope us all scope to be assured you see of our salvation by the work of the holy spirit prompting us to put into practice this word of christ to love one another it's not difficult to understand listen to the encouragement that john gives Beloved, if our heart does condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do do what pleases him. So let us ask the Lord in prayer what Paul asked for the Philippians. This is my prayer, he said, that your love may abound more and more. This is a loving church. I see it, I know it, but may our love abound more and more. If you know and love 75% of the people in this congregation, praise the Lord. But let's now focus on the other 25% that we may please the Lord and be assured even more of our love for Christ. Let us stir one another up to love and good deeds so that we may keep the commands of Christ and know that the Spirit abides in us and confirms in our hearts against the accusations of the devil that yes, we may be assured that we are in Him. And may this Be your testimony. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I know it because I can see how the Holy Spirit has worked in my life to go and love my brothers and sisters in Christ, people that I wouldn't otherwise have gotten to know and loved in the sacrificial way I do. Amen.